Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. And one of the Beatitudes I want to share today is this one in Matthew 5, verse 4. It's a small one, like I told you, but it's, it's very powerful. And he says this, this is Jesus speaking, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And like I said, it's a very small verse, but there's going to be a lot that we're going to unpack that Jesus means when he talks about mourning. So if you have your notebooks out, if your phone, whatever it is, I want you to title this message, Death is Only a Door. Death is Only a Door. And uh, as we wrap up Breaking Free, we're going to break free today of the fear of death and also fear of, not fear, but this idea that death is not just a physical thing, it could be a spiritual thing. And that sin, if left unchecked, can kill us slowly. And so I think there's going to be a couple of things we're going to break free from. I just pray that you have an open heart, open mind, open ears to listen to God's word. And uh, I promise you, you, you'll leave here different than how you came. And, um, and I just pray that you would feel hopeful and, and joy. And so let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word that, God, that it's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I just pray that it would just speak to us today, God. Um, more than just a man with a microphone. I pray, Jesus, you would speak loudly to every single one of us. You would challenge us. You would help us. You would give us hope in this dark and crazy world and uh, that's happening in America and the things that are happening, God. And maybe we can have anxiety. We can have just some darkness surrounding us. I pray that we would have hope that, God, you are on the throne. You are victorious. And, God, you defeated sin and death and that nothing is too powerful for you, Jesus. We pray for anybody here today that's here for the first time, God, they walked into church for the first time or they don't know you, Jesus, they have a relationship with you, Jesus. I pray today would be the day that they would make the greatest decision of their entire life to have their sins forgiven, to have a home in heaven and to put their life in your hands and that you would dictate their steps, Lord Jesus, and you would bless them and guide them in all their ways. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Tyler. Tyler's incredible. He's an amazing keyboard player. I love him. Back in 2005, it was the 25th anniversary of Larry King Live, and Larry King was a very prominent figure in our media. Um, you can argue that he was the greatest interviewer of all time. I mean, he spoke with all types of people from celebrities to presidents to pastors to rappers to entertainers. I mean, a plethora of different types of people. It was incredible the people that he got to speak to and the insight we got to see from those interviews. Well, for his 20th anniversary, they asked Barbara Walters to interview Larry King and to talk to the man that was so used to interviewing other people. And I loved the interview because Barbara Walters was very direct and she asked some very uh, poignant questions. And it was an awesome, awesome interview to listen to. And she hit on two topics I want to focus on. She talked to Larry King and asked him questions about fear and faith. And one of the questions that Barbara Walters asked him is, what do you fear? And Larry King immediately responded, what, what is your greatest fear? He responded, death. And this was in 2005. And so at this point, Larry King is a media mogul, very wealthy, very powerful, very influential. And you would think that his greatest fear would be losing all of that, losing his money, losing his fame, losing his name, all those type of things. But no, it was death. 
And then her follow-up question to that answer was, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? And I find that interesting that her follow-up to hearing that his greatest fear is death would be, do you believe in God? And why I find it interesting, because if you were to ask yourself that question, do you believe in God? It would drastically change your perspective on death in the afterlife. And if you think about it, like, like death is a part of life, if you didn't know. It's, it's something that we all are going to experience, whether it's the loss of a loved one, or if it's somebody that we know loved, or lost a loved one, or a family member, or a pet. I mean, we lose things, and it hurts, and it's painful, and it's, we grieve, and we mourn, and it's not the easiest. It's one of the most difficult things that you can go through, especially as a Christian, and you may wrestle with God, and you may have doubts with God. But maybe it's not just death of a loved one, it's death of a dream. You have a dream for your life. You have a vision for your life. You have an expectation for your life, and it's gone in an instant. And now you have to redirect. What do I do with my life? This is all I've, I've, I've put everything into this dream to see it die before me. Maybe it's a death of a relationship. Maybe it's a friendship, or, or you're dating, and, and there, there's this death. There's a separation. There's a dying of something that you cared about, and now you have to live with picking up all the pieces that come with that, all the emotions and feelings. Death is a part of life. But, but, if you are a Christian, here's the thing, if you are a Christian and you believe in Jesus Christ, how you view death is very different from how the world views death in the afterlife. Like if you, if I'll put it like this, the world sees death as done with Jesus, death is only a door. Like the world will see death as, that's it, you're done. I hope you had a good life because you are, you, you, you're done. There's nothing else to look forward to. There's nothing else in this life. It's just a void, a black hole. That's it. And if we believe that, it can change how we live day to day. Some of us may go to the drastic route of putting ourselves in a bubble and trying to feel safe. And it's like, I don't want to die. I only have one life and I want to, I'm not going to risk anything. I'm not going to be ambitious. I'm just going to kind of stay to myself, be very, very safe and let my life take its time. Or you're on the very, very extreme spectrum where it's like, I only have one life and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I get everything I can from this life. And so we do things that may not necessarily go according to God's will when it comes to having true life, but because we have one life, it's like, if there's nothing else, I'm going to live my life how I'm supposed to live here now on earth. Like, I love this. This is, this is I think, a very, very common worldview. Just recently, actually June 6th, earlier this month, uh, TMZ reporter asked Arnold Schwarzenegger, the T-1000 himself, what he thought about heaven and hell. This was his response, and I think this is a response that majority of the United States, possibly the world, would tell us when it comes to the afterlife. He says, there's nothing. You're six feet under. Anyone that tells you something else is an effing liar, and he didn't say freaking. He says, heaven, it sounds so good, but the reality is that you won't see each other again after we're gone. That's it. Imagine having that type of worldview. Where's the hope in that? How do you get up in the morning and think life has purpose if you think that in the end you're not going to, like there's nothing else, there's nothing to live for, there's no point to live, that's it, I die and I'm done, I might as well not even do anything with my life. But as I mentioned earlier, with Jesus, death is only a door. Look what it says in John 11, 25 through 26, Jesus told her, speaking to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me, believes in me, will never ever die. What a promise that in the end, our life is not done, it's not finished. We have heaven, we have paradise. We get to see Jesus face to face. We get to go to heaven where there is no more evil. 
There is no more suffering. So I get up knowing that God has a plan for me on earth, but heaven, there's hope that it's not the done, that my life isn't a waste, that my life doesn't have purpose, that it means something to get up and that my life can't be average if I'm going to follow after God. It changes your perspective. It changes how you live. I really believe if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how we view death is differently, but how we respond to the effects of death is differently. Like whether you believe in God or not, I've mentioned it earlier, but there's going to be sadness when death touches your life. There's going to be a grieving process. There's going to be mourning. There's going to be darkness. There's going to be isolation. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be all types of feelings and emotions when these things enter your life. And Jesus and Matthew 5, 4, this beatitude specifically, Jesus is speaking to these feelings that we feel whenever we experience death of some kind. But you read this beatitude and I don't know, you're like me, you're like, Jesus, did you really mean what you said there? Like, think about what he says. Blessed are those who mourn. It's like, why would I want to mourn to be blessed? I don't want to mourn. I don't want to, I don't want to watch someone that I love pass away and have to go through that just to be blessed. I want to be happy. I want to be full of joy. I want my life to mean something. I want to make sure that the people closest to me stay with me. I don't want to have to go through that process of grieving. Jesus is really the only way how to be blessed. So you ask the question, well, Jesus... Do, do I become blessed if I enjoy mourning? Right, you wrestle with this and you're like, what is Jesus trying to tell me here? And I believe that's not what Jesus means here. Read the whole beatitude. Read the whole verse. Is blessed are those who mourn because what happens? You will be comforted. So, so here's what Jesus is saying in a gist. He's saying the, the blessing isn't in the experience. The blessing is in the promise that arises from it. That guess what? We're all going to have to mourn. We're all going to grieve. Things are going to happen in this life because of sin and darkness and because our world is broken. But guess what? When you experience something that hurts you, guess who's there with you? Jesus. He's there to comfort you. He's there to be with you. He's there to love on you. He's there to be close with you. Look what it says in Isaiah 53. This is the Jesus that we serve. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. The humanity of Jesus means that Jesus, yes, he was God, but he also experienced humanity. So guess what? The feelings of sadness that you feel, Jesus felt sad at times. He can relate to your pain. He's not off in a distant with your pain. He knows what you're going through. And in Psalm 147, it says, he heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. That's the God that we serve, that if you are going through a storm, if you are going through a death in your family, a death in your life, something has died and you feel sadness, you feel defeated, you will be comforted. Your, your broken heart will be healed. Jesus will bandage your wounds. Listen to me, church. When we are hit with problems in life, we need to head to the promises of Jesus. There should be an uh, indirect, like, oh my gosh, I am going, it's chaotic in my life right now. I'm being pressed from all sides. Things are happening. My life is a mess. My marriage is a mess. I feel like I, I, I keep going from worse to worse. Things are going crazy. That should be an indication that you need to run to the Bible and say, what does God say about this situation? Because here's the thing about the promises of Jesus. They're not good advice. They're not good statements that they're just like, oh, that's a nice, cute little thing for me to share with myself. No, they are guaranteed foundations that if he said it, he's going to do it. He didn't just 
just take it back randomly because he wanted you to feel like, oh, I'm going to give him some good advice and take it away. No, the promises will be the same always, all the time. They don't change. And so when you go to the promise of Jesus, you can be a firm foundation. You can stand on the promises of Jesus. People will promise you things, but they're going to break their promises. Jesus never breaks his promise. So if you need comfort, you'll find it. If you need healing, you'll find it. If you need hope, you'll find it because Jesus said he promised that he will give us these things. And this is just scratching the surface of the promises of God. Read the word and there's so many things that whatever you're going through, there's a promise behind it. I love this quote by John Piper. He says, one of the greatest enemies of hope is forgetting God's promises. When we forget what God has said about certain situations and what he does, what he wants to do for us, it's so easy to give in to whatever life's throwing our way, whatever tension we're in, and be like, man, my life is over. There's no hope for me. There's nothing I can do. When we realize, no, God's word can help us. There is hope because we have an answer, and his name is Jesus. And so we don't mourn like the rest of the world. We don't, we don't wrestle with things like the rest of the world. We are different because we have the Bible and the promises of God. Now, when we talk about mourning... Jesus promises comfort, but, but mourning is more than just mourning the loss of a loved one. That's why there's a lot to unpack in this verse, because Jesus says, I'm going I'm to promise comfort for you who, who's lost a loved one, but also I'm going to promise comfort for those of you who are mourning the living. What do you mean? Like, Phil, what, what does that mean? What does that, it doesn't make sense. We're mourning just in the death of a loved one. We mourn over our sin. Jesus is talking about more than just death. It's, it's sin. And what sin brings into our life, which is death, spiritual death, separation from God, a death that isn't just physical. It's spiritual. God wants to comfort us when we are struggling with sin and help us break free from the thing that so easily ensnares us. And really what I want to encourage us is look at three things that we need to mourn over and learn how to break free from it. We need to break free from the fear of death, the fear of dying, the fear of, of living a safe life or, or a fear of, of if I'm going to die one day, I'm going to ruin my life and do the things in Miami that everybody else is supposed to do and that's part of it. I'm going to make the most. No, no, no. Don't live in that. We're going to break free from that ideology. We're also going to break free from sin. And I know we talk a lot about sin, but I think we're going to go to a level and really understand how bad sin is. Because until you understand how bad sin is, you'll never realize how good God is. So you have to see how bad it is and really magnify and understand the cross is in like what Jesus did on the cross is more than just a necklace on my shirt or on my body. It is ridiculous what Jesus did for me. It changes everything when you view how bad sin is and how we need to break free through the power of Jesus and not our own strength. And so the first thing we need to learn how to mourn over is the sin of others. It's the sin of others. So before we break down what I'm trying to say here, I want to really break down what sin is because we talk a lot about it in church. Maybe it's a term we hear, like we know it's bad, that we should stay away from it. We shouldn't do anything with it. But can we be honest? Maybe some of us in here, like me sometimes, it's like, what is sin? What is its basic form? What is sin like in the simple, like a simplification of what it is? So I want to start from the very beginning of what sin is. It started with Lucifer, who was Satan, but before he was Lucifer, he was an angel, the most beautiful and powerful angel. Angel, He desired to be higher than God, and that led to his downfall and ended up being the beginning of sin. 
renamed Satan, he now shows up in the Garden of Eden and he meets our good friends, Adam and Eve. And what happens? He talks to Adam and Eve and he, he, he traps them and kind of like tells them some things that, oh, God's not going to be mad at you. You can have the fruit. Like you can know more than God. You shall be like God. He gives them this promise, this idea that they could be on the same level of God if they eat this fruit. And what happens? They fell into his trap and sin from this day forward, the moment they ate of that fruit, entered our world. And through Adam, every single one of us, when we are born, we have an inclination to go opposite of God's way of life. Do you ever wonder where that came from? It came from our great, 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 great times, a million, billion great ancestors, Adam and Eve. We are... Sinners because we sin and we sin because we are sinners. We are born in sin. And so there's an inclination in every single one of us to go against the will of God. It's known as inherited sin. We are born with it. We are all born sinners. And that sin wants to take our life super separated from God. That's why sin is not to be played with because it separates us from God. But it also leads to an internal death. And I know we've been talking about death and you're like, well, Phil, isn't death just you die and you leave this world and that's it? No, no. We're talking about a spiritual death, that when you die, your life now leads towards destruction. Because when you are separated from God after death, you are not in heaven. You're in a place called hell of eternal damnation. And that's not a place you were meant ever to go in your life. That's why Jesus made it easy for you to be saved. So, so what happens is we don't just die physically, we die spiritually. This is what sin, sin is like a cancer that slowly spreads until one day we are gone. So it's taken care of until it's dealt with. And, and here's the thing, because now we know the road that sin can lead us on and how powerful and how dangerous it is, we should mourn over seeing our family and friends that don't know Jesus living in sin. Seeing and knowing, okay, if sin is this bad and this is what sin does, it's, a, it's seeing my friends living in that, seeing my family living in that, knowing where that road takes them. And there, be, there, should be, there should be something in us that mourns and, and that mourning should lead to passion. I got to invite my friends to church. I got to get them in a connect group. I got to reach out to them. I got to spread the gospel. I got to teach them. I got to figure this out because I don't want to be separated by sin. This is how the apostle Paul talks about this kind of passion, this kind of how we need to view sin and the sin of other people. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, yes, I am afraid that when I come again to visit the, the church at Corinth, God will humble me in your presence and I will be grieved I'll be saddened because many of you have not given up your old sins. Paul's looking at these people that he's invested life and time with, done ministry with, done life with. I mean, these are close friends of his. He loves the church of Corinth. He's like, I'm going to be grieved to see that some of you have not changed your life. That some of you are still living in sin. My heart breaks because of this. It gets even worse. The, the church of Corinth was wild, wild. And you're going to hear in a minute what they were getting into. But there's a, another moment where, where Paul is somewhere. He's heading, to, heading towards the church of Corinth. And what's happening in Corinth is so bad and so loud is that he got a report before he even got to Corinth of how bad it was. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 2. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going among you. Something that even the pagans don't do. People don't believe in God don't even act up like this. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. <laughs> Pray for the church of Corinth. My goodness. You are so proud of yourselves. But you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. The language that he used, mourning, sorrow, shame. The church of Corinth, they were proud about it. 
Like, look how crazy we are. Look, look, look what's happening in this church. This is nuts. And, and, and Paul's like, no, you shouldn't be proud about this. But hold on now. Because we could look at the church of Corinth and be like, okay, well, Phil, we would obviously here at Calvary, we would never do that. That, I mean, if somebody's messing around with their stepmother, we got to step up and say something. This is ridiculous. But sometimes we do the opposite. It's just as bad. We might not be proud about it, but we're silent about it. Like, like think about sin and why we are f- afraid to address it, why we're afraid to talk about it, why we're afraid to, to call it out is because sometimes calling somebody out on their sin or loving somebody out of their sin is going to disrupt relationships. Think about it. If we are silent about sin, there's a leadership quote by Gregor Schell, but I think it applies here. What we allow, we promote. So if we're silent about sin, we are saying that it's okay to sin in our household. It's okay to sin in our marriage. It's okay to sin in our family because we haven't said anything about it. We just, we just think that it's going to be taken care. It's going to be taken away with time and it'll be healed. It'll be handled. Like, like parents, listen to me. We're we're on the same page here. I I know that my daughter's just one, but she sins still. Like she's, you know, pray for her. Like she's, she needs Jesus. Like, like here's the thing. If you know your child is living in sin, don't be silent about it. Why not bring in a Friday nights? Cover youth. Why not sign them up for camp? Friends, friends, if you have people in your life that you know are living in sin, bring them to church. Get them in your connect group. Or, or send them preaching clips or preach to them. Like, be their friend. Preach the gospel. If you realize how bad sin is, we cannot be silent about it. And, and here's the thing. I'm not saying. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we judge. I'm not saying we judge. I'm not saying we're rude. I'm not saying we're disrespectful. I'm not saying we belittle and we, we be mean. No, no. I'm saying we do this with grace and truth and with love and kindness. The same grace that was shown to you by the love of Jesus Christ, we show it to other people. If I love you, I don't want you to live in sin. If I care about you, I'm going to say something. If I don't love you, I'll be silent and let you ruin your life day by day. But we can't be silent about it. It's okay if relationships get a little bit murky and relationships get a little bit... Here's the thing. From my philosophy parent or my parent philosophy, what I, what I read from or what I heard from a preaching was, I'd rather be their parent now and their friend later. Like, I'm going to be Ian's parent now and I'm going to tell her when she's wrong and I say things when she... I mean, she's very cute, so it's going to be very difficult. But I'm going to tell her these things to then what? Down the road, we'll be friends. Show love Jesus Hopefully she'll meet a man of God and get married and whatever, whatever. But she'll be my friend because I did my job as a parent early on and I can now enjoy the fruits of being her friend later. And that means not being silent about sin. Is this making sense? Like we got it. There's got to be a point where we put our foot down and say enough's enough. Same thing with our friendships. Like I, I rather my, I rather my friends hate me for a week than hate me the rest of my life. And that means I got to say some things that may be discomforting and, and say some things that are like, like they're not going to want to hear. That's fine. Hate me for a week, but you're not going to hate me for a lifetime because you're going to remember that moment. You had a friend in your corner that told you what you need to hear that saved your life. But here's the thing. It's not just being silent as a friend or as a family member or as a husband or a wife. I think another reason why we're silent about sin is because we've never learned how to mourn our own sin. We, we've never looked at our life and looked at our sin and we thought it was that bad. 
and we didn't mourn it because we're like, well, what I'm doing is not bad. Why would I mourn something at this magnitude? It's okay. It's just a little, it's just, it's just a phase. It's just a little thing that I'm doing here and there. And, and it's, we, we haven't understood the magnitude of sin in our very own life. So why would we talk about it with somebody else? So we need to mourn over the sin of ourselves. Matthew 7, 4 through 3, says, or 3 through 4 says this. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? In order to properly grieve over the sins of others, I need to grieve over my own sins first. First. It reminds me of every time I get on a plane, the whole procedure of the safety rules and the safety instructions. And you know, they talk about going through, going through all the things that like, like I gotta buckle my seat belt, I gotta find the exits and, and, and there's, there's a flotation device under my seat. All these things are part of it. But then when they get to the masks, they say things like if the cabin loses air pressure an oxygen mask will drop from the compartment over your head. If someone seated next to you is having trouble putting on their oxygen mask, put yours on first and then help your neighbor. This is the same reasoning Jesus is trying to show us. If we are gonna help a nation, if we're gonna help a city, if we're gonna help our families, if we're gonna help a society get over sin, I first need to learn how to get over mine. I gotta fix myself through Jesus. I gotta make sure that I'm taking care of my sin. I'm confessing, I'm in a connect group, I'm talking to people, I'm reading my word, I'm experiencing grace, I'm experiencing mercy. Am I experiencing what it's like to break free from sin in my own life? before I talk to somebody else? Who do I have in my corner that I can talk to? Who, have, I, have, I, have I asked God to consecrate me, to cleanse me, to, to search me on the inside out, make me clean, God? I don't wanna live a life with a dirty heart, with a dirty soul, with things that are gonna ruin the things that I care about, my marriage, my family, my ministry, all these things. I need to help myself first and then I can help my wife, I can help my daughter, I can help the youth leaders, I can help our church, I can help people. It's because I'm in a place where I'm going, God, search my heart, make me clean. So I can be valuable and be accessible to being a voice in your kingdom. What's the remedy? We've been talking about this, the whole Breaking Free series, it's that word confession. And here's the thing, we've been talking about confession in the context of with other people. And yes, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and, and you need to talk to somebody so you can be healed. But let's talk to Jesus first. Let's make sure we're not talking to people just to hear ourselves talk. Let's talk to Jesus first. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to him, Jesus, he is faithful. That's a promise. He is faithful to just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. A promise that if we confess to Jesus, he will do the forgiving, the cleansing of all wickedness. When was the last time you really got real with Jesus and said, Jesus, I need, I need to confess some things. He knows it already, but we're not doing this to heal him. We're doing it to heal us. Like, I need to talk to Jesus, and Jesus, I need to get this. And you ever notice when you confess something, just, just getting it out in the open, something that's been so pressing in your chest, you're just like, I need to get this and talk to somebody. When you let it out, the freedom that you experience in that moment right there, and knowing that God doesn't judge you, and He doesn't hate you, and He's not, He's not like, He doesn't give us what we deserve in that moment. It's the grace of God. We have a second chance, we have a second, we have a second moment. We, we, we have a new life ahead of us and grace keeps us in the loving arms of Jesus. Confession gets us on the path towards comfort. Listen, sin will take you further than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay, and cost you more than you wanna pay. That's sin. Listen to me, because I think this can help a lot of us. Sin doesn't work in miles. 
it works in inches. Listen to me, sin is not this big, grandiose thing that, that, that is announced to the whole world, like, oh my God, look what this person did, look what this person did. It starts somewhere. It be, there's a genesis to everybody's sin somewhere. Something you watched, something you said, something that happened to you, around, like the type of music you're listening to, the type of shows you're watching. Something begins in you where sin starts to work in inches, little by little by little by little. Before you know it, you make a decision, you do something that ruins your life, and then you see the big overlapping problem but it was a ticking time bomb the moment you allowed it into your life. The best illustration I could give to, to make this clear is like, I remember being a young kid going to the beach and you'd be so excited and you're with your family and you're going to the beach. And it's crazy how you live in Miami. We rarely go to the beach. It's like crazy. So you're like, this is a big deal. We're going to the beach. It's been like five years and we live literally 15 minutes from the beach. It's incredible. And you get all your stuff. You got your umbrella, you got your snacks, and you got your beverages, only water. That's all we drink is water, hydrated. And you just, you're just having a good time with your family. And you got your, your, um, your towels, and you're gonna get a tan, you're gonna read a book, or you're gonna play games, you're gonna build sand. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be the best day ever. And you go to the beach and you find your spot. You plant your towels, you plant your umbrellas, and this is our spot. And after you're bored, I remember I was a little kid, so I was like, I don't want to sit here no more. I want to get in the water. And you're, you're there with, you know, maybe it's my sister or we're with some friends, and you're playing, you're playing volleyball or football, and you're hanging out. And then before you know it, you start looking around and you're like, did somebody steal our stuff? Like, where did our stuff go? What happened to the umbrella? What happened to our snacks? What happened to our, our towels? What happened to our, our, our base area of operations? Where do we go? Like, what happened? What happened is you were too busy having fun. You started to drift. You started to drift. Little by little by little by little. Before you know it, you look back and you're so far from home and you're so far from God you're like, how did I get here? It's not miles, it's inches. Listen, sin doesn't say have six more drinks. Sin says just have one more. Sin doesn't say, hey, just, just spend the night. No, no, sin says, hey, just talk to her for a, little bit, for a couple more minutes. It's the inches. I love this quote by Andy Stanley. I think it puts it all in perspective. He says, we rationalize everything so we don't have to feel bad about anything. <laughs> Isn't that humanity? Oh my God, I'm the king of doing this. I try to rationalize everything. Like, God, oh, it's not that bad. You know, like, I, I, it's like, you forgave me, right? Like, this is how this works. I could do this, you forgive, and we live a life. It's awesome, it's great. We rationalize and just make things not a big deal. And because we don't make a sin a big deal, we come on a Sunday where we don't worship because we don't understand the songs that we're worshiping and the God that we're worshiping. And we don't realize what he did through Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of the tomb and the defeating of sin and defeating of death. All the things that Jesus, what we celebrate on Easter, what we celebrate every day, the power of God never makes manifest in our life because we take sin lightly. And that's what I've noticed about my life is I worship less when I remember or when I, when I start to forget what Jesus saved me from. And it's like, man, we got to remember, we need to first mourn the sin of others and then ourselves. What is in our life that is inching, inching closer to our heart and get rid of it. Amen. Third and final thing is we talked about the sin of others. We talked about the sin of ourselves. What we talked about earlier, what we were alluding to earlier, Jesus says that we do need to mourn the death of someone and something. There is, a, there is an actual mourning process that takes place when we lose somebody. And I hope that what I'm going to share helps you. And, and I would put it like this. The kingdom of God is a present reality and a future hope. When you think about the kingdom of God, think about this vision of 
if God literally had a castle, he's the king of that castle, he has rules, he has standards, he has behaviors, and we living in that kingdom, we obey the king and we tell the king, and he's a good king. He doesn't say anything crazy, he doesn't tell us to do anything bad, it's, a, it's good things. That's the kingdom of God. We bring that here to Miami, we bring that here to Kendall, God's kingdom, God's behavior, God's standards. What does God want? What does God say about things? How does God think? That's the kingdom of God. Experiencing the kingdom of God in our family and our marriages in Miami is a present reality and a future hope. Meaning, as a Christian, why it's hard to be a Christian is because we are stuck between those two things. We are stuck between the now and the not yet. Meaning, there are things that you pray about that will not be answered until you see Jesus in heaven. And you gotta be okay with that. That's the tension. You can be blessed now you can have the promises of God apply in your life now, in this moment, on earth. But there are some things that only we can hope for. It's the present reality and the future hope. And so when it comes to mourning somebody, mourning our sin, mourning a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a cousin, how do we go to Jesus for this comfort? You know, I don't think Jesus is saying your pain is good. He's not happy about your pain. It's not celebrating your mourning. He is saying that somewhere under the rubble of all those things, there's a blessing for you. That's what it feels like, you're under rubble. Life is crumbling. How can I lose this person? How can this person leave us so soon? How did I get here? I drifted, I dr like, how did I get here? God, I used to love you, I used to serve you. How did I get here? It's rubble. It's like you're in the aftermath of destruction. But under all that, there's a blessing for you. And what I believe is you can go to Jesus sad and you might come away with Jesus still sad, but you'll be blessed. Why? Because in the present, there's blessing for you. And in the future, there's a hope for you. God's not done just on this earth. All the blessings, all the things that you have on this earth, you cannot take them with you. Remind you the things that you love and care about, they're gonna be gone one day. The only thing we take with us is our soul and our relationship with Jesus. And the hope is that it's not the end. See, what I love about Jesus is that one day all the sad things in our life are going to be gone. And they will be gone once and for all. Not just some of the things, not just, not, not, the, not the most stressing things, no, everything. Everything evil on this planet that scares us, that harms us, that hurts us, it's going to be gone. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things will be gone forever. One day, my wife will no longer have depression. One day, the body aches, the body pains will be gone. One day, divorce won't be a reality for our children. One day, the fighting and the violence we see politically, racially, all the violence and everything we see on TV, on Twitter, social media, all the darkness that's surrounding our country will be gone. Gun violence, gone. Hurting, gone. It'll be gone. One day, I'll see my loved ones again. One day, gender confusion will be gone. One day, my true identity will be received. One day. What is your thing that you're waiting for one day? The world can't give it to you. I'm sorry, it can't. It can't, but Jesus can. And so how do we break free from sin? How do we break free from the fear of death? We trust Jesus.
that in the end, there's more for us. But while we're here on earth, he's not done with us. Why don't we stand up to our feet? And I just, just want to pray for a couple people. I know this is a heavy topic. But I think sometimes we got to go to these kind of depths to really find the freedom that we're looking for. Not that we preach surface level preaching here at Calvary, but sometimes we got to go a little bit in depth on the things that we talk about. I mean, we only have so much time on a Sunday and I mean, really just wanted to harp on how sin can hurt us and that's not to be taken lightly. So when you come here on a Sunday and when you worship and when you go home and read your Bible, when you pray at night, you would be so thankful for Jesus that it would do something in your life that you're just like, I, I thought I was only passionate when I first got saved. No, you can, you can get that same passion here today. But it starts with remembering what God saved you from. I know we've been talking about breaking free, right? We've been talking about things from depression, from anxiety to mental health. Tonight, or today we're talking about death and sin. As we wrap up this service, I just, I just want us to leave here with the hope that we've been talking about. Leave here knowing that you don't have to fear death. You don't have to go to sleep at night sleepless and worrying and tossing and turning because you don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. You don't know what's gonna happen to your family. You don't know what's gonna happen to your life. That you're fearful of walking outside your home or going to work or traveling. Like there's just this fear in you. You're sleepless, you're tired, you're just, you're struggling. You feel like you're just always on edge. I don't know, we titled this Breaking Free because we believe God's gonna break people free from this. So I just wanna, if we can, just bow our heads and close our eyes. If, if you're here today and you have this like, this is something I've been wrestling with if I could be honest. And that's why I deleted Twitter because it's been affecting me very, very greatly. But you're like, you, you can't sleep or you're having trouble sleeping because you fear this idea of death. You fear the direction our country's going and you feel like it's gonna affect your family, it's gonna touch your family, you feel like it's gonna, like you just, you just, there's this overlapping fear in your life and it's affecting you physically. It's affecting your sleep, it's affecting your body, it's affecting how you talk to people, it's affecting your faith. I just wanna set you free from that. And when I mean me, I wanna be, I wanna tell you, I just wanna pray for you and I believe Jesus will set you free. And this is something I'm going to be praying myself to receive. If you're here today, you just, you just, you're saying, Phil, that's me. I just, I, I, I want to have peace. I want to have hope. I want to know that God is with me, that the blood of Jesus will protect my family, that, that he'll protect my loved ones. He'll protect my home because he will, because he's a good God. Protect you from evil. If that's you, can you just lift up both hands just to, as a posture to receive? Nobody looking around. This is just you confessing. I mean, it's all right. I'm with you. I'm with you. Jesus, you see these hands up? see their hearts, you know what they're going through, you know what the fear is, you can pinpoint it, Jesus. God, I just pray that today we would leave here knowing that, God, you're with us. You love our marriages more than us. You love our families more than us. You love our homes more than us. You love our lives more than us. Jesus, you want to protect us. You want to guide us. God, that you are our strong tower. You are our refuge, Jesus. I pray today, God, that people would leave and tonight they would have the best sleep of their life. The Bible says that we have a promise of sweet sleep, that you don't have to toss anymore. You don't have to toss and turn, that you can sleep. When you put your head on that pillow, you think of Jesus, you read your word. You, you, would, you would recite the promises of Jesus over your life. Pray for fathers and mothers, Lord Jesus, that you would give them peace, give them strength. They don't have to fear for their kids going to school. They don't have to fear, God, you're with them, you're for them, you're with them, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we can sleep and we can have peace knowing God that whatever happens on the earth, it's not the end. 
death is only a door and we have all eternity waiting for us. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for that gift, Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to pray for one last group of people and we'll wrap it up and then I'm going to ask Pastor Adam to come up and he'll give you instructions about baptism and, and a gift that we want to give you. But if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I pray that today you would know that sin is nothing to play with and nothing that we can do can remove that sin from our life. Doesn't matter how good of a person you are, doesn't matter how good of a dad or mom or how nice your house is or how, how great your bank account is, nothing can remove that sin from your life. That's how powerful it is. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came from heaven down to earth, was born as a baby, grew up to be a man and his whole purpose of being born is to die for us. When I alluded to earlier, when I said that we're going to experience an eternal death, that's what happens when we die with sin in our life. We refuse the gift of salvation with Jesus that He gives us, and we say, God, I'd rather do this on my own. And what that leads to is death. It leads us to put ourselves on a figurative, a figurative cross of suffering and pain, of separation from God. But Jesus says, no, no, I love you too much. So I'm going to take your place on the cross and I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to take what was meant for you and put it on my shoulders because I love you. And so Jesus, what he did, he was born as a baby, grew up to be a teenager, young adult. At the age of 30, started his earthly ministry. At the age of 33, he was arrested by authorities. He was tried illegally, but it was all part of the plan. They get Jesus, they sent him to be tortured. He's abandoned by his friends, he's abandoned by his family. He's beaten, he's tortured, he's punched, he's spat on, he's humiliated. The Bible says that Jesus was so, un he, was, he was beaten so badly, he was unrecognizable. Couldn't, couldn't tell it was Jesus anymore. They get Jesus and they send him to be put on a cross. Crucifixion was one of the worst ways of being tortured. The Romans perfected brutality. And on that cross, what they did was they, hit, they nailed one hand to one side, they put his feet together and they nailed it together and then they put a crown of thorns on, head, on his head for Jesus. They didn't do this for everybody else, but they, they made it special for Jesus because he was so hated. They made fun of him, they mocked him even to the very end. Jesus on that cross is abandoned by his friends and family. Even a moment of time, God had to look away at his son being hurt. But on that cross, you know who he was thinking about? He's thinking about you. That if you put your hope in Him and your faith in Him and your life in His hands, you would never experience this. You would never experience the cross, eternal death, separation from a good God. Jesus takes His last breath. They get the body of Jesus. They put Him in a tomb. For three days, Jesus is dead. The Bible tells us that the women in His life and some of the disciples go to the tomb of Jesus to anoint His body because at that time it probably smelled bad and they wanted to honor Jesus and they see at the tomb that there was a stone that was covering and now it is removed. And they look inside and Jesus is no longer there. What does Jesus do in that moment? He did the impossible. He defeated sin, he defeated death, and salvation now becomes a free gift for every single one of us. Jesus rose from the grave, he's alive today. We believe that Jesus Christ is alive today. Still healing, still moving, still challenging, still maturing, still helping, still filling out grace. Jesus did the hard part. Now all we have to do, friend, is just surrender, put our trust and hope and faith in Jesus Christ, and guess what? He will save us and remove that sin, and we will have access to God, to heaven, to everlasting life.
you with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you want to accept Jesus for the very first time, you want to know that one day when you die, you're going to go to heaven, that death is a door in your life, that there is more for you, there's eternal life, you're going to experience paradise where there is no overpaying, there is no more suffering, but not just that gift, you get the gift of having a purpose here on earth that changes you from the inside out, that you have the healing power of Jesus, that you have the, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that you have forgiveness of your sins. If you want that free gift, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to see who I'm talking to. But on the count of three, you lift up your hand. One, two, three. If you want that free gift of salvation this morning, you lift up your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you in the back. Awesome. God bless you. I see you, boss. Amazing. Amazing. You can put your hands down. Awesome. Hey, I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer. And this is you talking to Jesus. And repeat after me, prayer and family. Calvary as a family, we do this every single Sunday. We're not going to leave you hanging. We got you. We've all made a decision with you. And we want to come alongside you as you do this. But I want you to know, as you pray this prayer, you are committing your life to Jesus. And that's nothing to be scared about. It's nothing to be nervous about. It's something to get excited about. Because he's going to change your life and do some incredible things in your life. And so as you pray this, I just want you to think about Jesus. I want you to focus on the decision that you're making and I want, I want this prayer this repeatedly uh, repeat after me prayer to be an easy one for you and so church let's say this with them Lord Jesus I open up my heart I invite you inside to be my friend to be my savior to be my God Lord forgive me of my sins wash me clean from this day forward I want to follow you all the days of my life Jesus I love you and I thank you and everybody said Come on, let's put our hands together. God bless you, church. Pastor Adam's going to instruct you on some next things. I love you guys. We praise God for that message here today. That death is just a door. And, uh, and hey, look, if you made that decision today, you prayed that prayer with Pastor Phil, or even if you didn't even raise your hand, but you made that decision in your heart, just want to say congratulations. Truly the best decision you can ever make in your life. And uh, if you made that decision, we actually have a free gift for you. We don't want you to leave out of here without this. Thank you so much, Arnold. But we're going to have, as soon as you leave the building, you're going to see a bunch of our Dream Team members. You're going to see a tent that says Connect Tent, waving around these bags. as a gift bag that has a note from Pastors Alex and Diana, has a gift card, and I'm not a gift card, I'm sorry, a free coffee voucher from our circle cafe has a, 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 a tumbler in there it's a bunch of goodies just for you and we want to put this in your hand just to remind you that god loves you that we want to be a resource for you and also we're putting a free bible in there for you so that you can see god's promises for your life so please do not leave here without that but church can we put our hands together one more time for everybody who made that decision